Okay, it's Monday, so you know what time it is. It is time for FRPC football, and I am here with Nico Minatello. Nico, how was your weekend football watching? My weekend football watching was pretty good. I'm surprised I didn't get any sort of Canadian pseudonym from my introduction today, but uh, I I had a good weekend watching football, whether I'm the Canadian bomber or not. We're still workshopping the the nickname, so (laughs) we'll we'll, we'll figure it out soon. We have a lot to get to today. I I mean, there's so much to get to. Um, The first and foremost thing is San Francisco is really good. Mm -hmm. Seattle might have found their quarterback even through the second half performance. And there's not a lot to report because this is pretty much how I figured it was going to go. But San Francisco wins that game and win it going away. And everything that I thought would happen did defense impose this will in the second half. Some key third downs that weren't made and also some key third downs that weren't made by the team that was in red. And uh, they have a lot of weapons, bro. They just have a, a ton of stuff. Yeah. Probably, like you said, the most predictable matchup from the games that happened this weekend to this point. Uh, I Early, the Seahawks made it look like it might be a little interesting. But like you said, in the second half, the 49ers just jammed the door shut. And our guy, Mr. Irrelevant Brock Purdy, has definitely continued to show that he can play at the NFL level at the very least. He can execute this Kyle Shanahan system. My thoughts as I was watching that game is that Trey Lance is not getting his job back. I I still think he might. I still think he might. It's still giving me uh, Nick Foles vibes to a certain extent. He hasn't wilted at all. No, so. he hasn't. But neither did Nick Foles. Nick Foles played arguably the greatest Super Bowl game I've ever seen. Get it? I do. I don't disagree with you because obviously the sample size is very small. Mm -hmm. He just, did you hear his comments about Iowa State and San Francisco? Did you hear like what he thought of like the NFL game to the college game? Did you hear any of that? No, I didn't hear the quotes, but I basically synopsis was like it's not too different no. from college football. That's that's kind of what I would have expected him to say say just because the offense he ran was pretty damn similar to this one. Like he just kind of stepped into an offense he's seen already. But definitely for him to be able to like block out the haters and just actually step onto an NFL field and continue to de- deliver at the level he had been was something I wouldn't have expected. He's the most self-aware guy I've ever kind of come in contact with in the sense of the second part of the quote was this I just drop it off to McCaffrey, Debo and Ayuk and Kittle and they do all the heavy lifting mm-hmm. I mean literally he was just pretty matter of fact about it and just kind of like yeah well, kind of what I do 
swirls from my bag. Uh-huh. I got a few stars and I just let him make the plays. Like what what else is he supposed to do? I guess he's doing it for us though. But see, the thing is, that is so true. But what if next year Trey Lance can accomplish the just dump it off to the stars and make plays, but then also be uh, Lamar Jackson, Justin Fields type running threat from the quarterback position? Because in NDSU, in his one year when he was incredibly successful, that's exactly what he was. He was just a guy who ran the offense, dumped the ball off, threw zero interceptions, and executed through the run game. I think the dream and why they traded all these first-round picks for Trey Lance in the first place was him being that type of quarterback that Kyle Shanahan loves to execute the West Coast system, but then also have that running game element, which is something you don't find very often. Like Justin Fields and Lamar Jackson, I wouldn't rely on them to execute that style of offense. We'll have so much to talk about during the off season because I think this is there's another compelling story that we'll get to in a little bit. Um, there's a lot of them, but mm-hmm. that involves a quarterback. But uh, let's turn our attention to the LA Chargers and the Jacksonville Jaguars. I have notes, and then I want you to kind of expound off of them. All right. Okay. Sounds good. So, a couple observations here. How did you lose a playoff game when you win the turnover battle by five? As much as I do not want to talk about this, I do not want to be that content creator, but how very Charger of the Chargers to just charge and (laughs) blow a 27 point lead. Yeah, you you asked how you lose a playoff game when you get win the turnover battle by 5. I think the the true answer is you wear powder blue jerseys <laughs> because it feels like that's the team that always figures out how to do shit like this whenever the calendar turns to January. I've said probably a lot of times that the Chargers should go to Tijuana. Let's just be there. Yeah, we need a team in Western Canada. You can have them. I, I mean, they're renting at SoFi. No, hey. I mean, there's no ownership whatsoever. We send them to you. Ah, man, I'll give them BC Place. All right. Well, I'm, I'm not going to do it. I know that is the low-hanging fruit, but I had to throw it out there because it is – what we've seen with this work, at least what I've seen with this organization for 20 years and even beyond that, because I I remember Dan, Dan Feltz. Like, I remember him. Like, I saw him play. Yeah. I remember the uh, the Stan Humphrey days. I remember, obviously, the Philip River days. The Drew Brees. The Drew Brees days. Drew Brees, yeah. Name name whatever Chargers legend you want, and they went through this same thing. The Chargers have Sean Merriman days. Chargers have had countless uh, elite players come through there. They're kind of similar to an organization like Detroit, 
But the the difference is the Chargers, like Detroit, sometimes it feels like they have one good player and then a bunch of garbage around their Calvin Johnson, their Barry Sanders. So the Chargers, it feels like they've got a good football team always. They've got multiple star players, and then they just still shit right in their pants as soon as the games start to matter. Ryan Rotillo has been beating this drum for at least 15 years. He has said that the Chargers are the most talented roster He's been saying it for about 15 years, but they just can't get over the hump. And speaking of mismanagement of players, Mike Williams, their best pass-catching threat, did not play in this game Mm -hmm. due to an injury that he got in Week 18 where playoff position (laughs) was not up for debate. Mm -hmm. So that decision alone, to me, is a fireable offense. Yeah. But we will have many to talk about because we're not done. I have another thing for you. Mm-hmm. We're going to stay on the Chargers. I will get back to the Jaguars in one second, but I just got to stay on this Charger thing for a second. No, um, the Char- Jaguars are, they, we're going to be talking about them for a while now. So it's okay. Staley's game management in in conjunction with the offensive coordinator, Joe Lombardi, was absolutely abysmal. Mm-hmm. Seven times they ran the football in the second half. That is inexcusable when you have a 20-point lead in a playoff game. Yeah. Absolutely. You can't explain it away to me. So I would love to hear your thoughts on their managing this game but also could you expound on what they have done this year in totality well first first things first i think uh another guy in that division matt ryan is writing a letter to justin herbert right now saying thank you thank you thank you because up until this game our guy matt ryan this year had the biggest comeback against him in NFL regular season history, the biggest come up bit back against him in playoff history and the biggest comeback against him in Super Bowl history. But now, now that playoff history is squarely in the pockets of our boy, Justin Herbert, not that he can be blamed very much for this, but I think as good as Justin Herbert is, an unwillingness to put the ball in the hands of their best player, which Austin Eckler has had 20 fucking touchdowns over the last 11 games or so. And this guy was, again, playing great, scoring repeatedly against Jacksonville. And they Jacksonville does have a good defense that played well in the second half. That being said, they were specifically depleted in the front lines. And the fact that... Staley and Lombardi couldn't draw up any rush plays to get Eckler to run out the clock at all after this, considering he just touched the ball 13 times in this game running, and you had a 27-point lead, and your superstar running back touches the ball 13 times? Like... I, I swear you could put like like a seventh grader in front of a Madden machine and he'd figure it out better than that. That's absolutely disgusting. The other 
thing that I found absolutely interesting is their left tackle position due to injury was pretty much kind of a carousel. And Jacksonville knew it. Uh And they kept rushing from that side. Not one hot hot route to that side of the ball. By the way, to Austin Eckler, who is one of the best pass-catching threats out of the backfield that we have in the league. Only two catches out of Austin Eckler. Four targets total, but still only two catches, despite the pass rush that was on top of Justin Herbert all game. So with Mike Williams out, Austin Eckler gets four targets the whole game. Yeah, for some reason, this was, if you would have coming into this year told me that there was going to be a playoff game where Gerald Everett versus Evan Ingram, for and they combined for 200 total yards and two touchdowns, I would have never believed that in a million years. These They'll feel like the most average tight ends in the league, but they're guys who have absolutely stepped up this season, especially Evan Ingram. Man. The last thing that I want to um, go with this is twofold. The lack of aggression the entire year by Staley and his loyalty to Joe Lombardi could get him fired. Yeah. Now, there are reports that it's going to be a complete staff overhaul. Mm. I'm leaving the door open for Staley to be fired. I mean, I just... I know that the players are behind him. That might save him. But I, some of these decisions over the last couple of years, they're inexcusable. I I'm hate, sorry. Yeah, I, I agree. But at this point, I'm feeling like you can fire the coach. You can fire the offensive coordinator. You can fire the GM. You can do all of that. But this... The poison in this organization is dripping from the top down, and we've seen it happen to, like we said, countless teams. There's been your Phillip Rivers, your LaDainian Tomlinson's, your Drew Brees, your Sean Merriman's, all infected by this same thing and it seems to come from ownership because you list off all those players. And you can't find one name on that list who is going to talk positively about their time with the Chargers organization now. It's a group who basically, like, got their asses kicked out of the door, treated like they were replaceable the whole way through. And once you treat an entire team like that, how are you expecting those same guys to go out on the field and put it all on the line so you can hang a Lombardi? That it's just not going to happen. There's no opportunity for it unless there may be maybe an ownership change or maybe a complete like rethinking of the way they interact with their organization at this point. The Spanos family, Dean mostly, mm-hmm. makes the Bidwills look like the hunts in Kansas City. Oh, yeah. Okay, I'm close to it because I live in Southern California. The history of the Chargers is like absolutely amazing, not just on the field, but off. Um, Spanos basically, through his lack of self-awareness, 
absolutely just disjointed his favor in that city and they could never get stadium upgrades or a actual new stadium. Now, in the same time that's happening, the Padres are sold and they have Petco Park. You tell me. Oh, by the way, they are tenants at SoFi. They get their gate, but parking on that, they don't get any of that. Yeah. You, it's just been absolutely comical with that franchise for decades. Mm-hmm. And I don't see anything changing. Like you said, it would take new ownership for yeah. any sort of real change to happen. And uh, a lot of the people in San Diego, they kind of just went, all right, like we just do not get down with you anymore whatsoever. Yeah, they're just tired of the bullshit, man. And now it's just like an extended era of bullshit that has now spilt into Los Angeles. I don't know if this is the way it's going to stay for the foreseeable future, but like, obviously, you can't go and compare this to like the Dan Snyder situation. But if you look in like a league like the NBA and you look at the James Dolan situation, James Dolan gets a hell of a lot of shit. He gets way more shit than the Spanos family ever got. So I think it might be time for the media as a whole to start looking at Spanos the same way we've been looking at James Dolan for a long time, especially considering Dolan's done a considerably better job the last couple of years. I have something on Dolan that I want to talk about on Friday's pod that is absolutely, it's terrible. Uh, I'm just going to tease that part. Okay. Um, But the reason why Spanos hasn't gotten the, the, the vitriol is because first of all, he was in San Diego. So it wasn't a large media market. Yeah. Yeah. Fair. There's a, there's a world of difference between Los Angeles and San Diego. Now that he's in Los Angeles, the spotlight will be on him more. And if you continue to have these type of episodes, these types of cancerous things Mm -hmm. that happen to your organization, because here's the other thing with being an owner. It's cool because you have a football team and people get to talk about it. But you know what is not cool? When you blow 27-point leads, now you don't want to go to the event and you don't want to go to the gala and you don't want to go to the fundraiser because people are laughing at you (laughs) just every single week. Chargers count his money. So, yeah, this is terrible. The one last thing that I do want to talk about with the Chargers on the field, last year, Staley, aggressive. This year, not aggressive. Um, eight minutes ago, fourth and three, kicks a field goal. Mm-hmm. When he could have put that team away. Because it wasn't going to change the circumstances. They were still going to be down by two scores. They were going to still need two drives, whether it was going to be a touchdown or field goal or two touchdowns. They still were going to need two drives. But if you go for the jugular and put this team out of its misery on a fourth and three and you have Austin Eckler... <laughs> 
And like you said, the tight ends were doing well. Yeah, yeah, great. And you don't go for it. And last year you went for it. You would have went for fourth and three at your own 15 last year. He absolutely would have went for it in that sort of situation last year. And we're currently in a place where Staley seems like his like his identity has changed almost like it's been beaten out of him to a certain extent. And I, I was higher on him last year. I felt like he was getting maybe a little too much flowers considering he hadn't like actually done anything in the playoffs. It was just another good chargers regular season, which we've seen before, but I, I did like what I saw from him last year. So I'm hoping there's a way he can recapture a little bit of that magic and not run into the same situation that he's been in this year. Well, obviously there'll be more to come on this particular subject as this continues into the off season, because it's going to be fascinating. Now, quickly to the Jaguars, Trevor Lawrence obviously has the uh, four interception first half. Mm -hmm. He's lights out in the second half. And the number one overall pick in the 2021 draft stepped onto a stage and announced himself as that dude in the second half. There was so much poise. The throws were so confident and on target and on time. I think we saw the birth of what we thought we were getting out Mm -hmm. of Clemson. Just a grit to say, we're not out of it. We can win this game. To pull it off, nothing but superlatives to say about this kid. Um, thoughts on his performance? Anything that leads you into next year? What what could be maybe possible for him? Oh, man. You want to talk about how the guy across the field and Justin Herbert had limited weapons. Trevor Lawrence was throwing the ball 11 times to Evan Ingram, 14 times to Christian Kirk, 13 times to Zay Jones. Those are three guys who were street-free agents last year. And he is making plays, those dudes who he doesn't have this extended time to work out the relationship with. He met those guys this year. He started going through this Doug Peterson system with them, and he developed that chemistry. That's something that we haven't seen a lot of other people able to do. Absolutely, he started the game awful. He was making rookie mistakes after rookie mistakes, but to see someone age that quickly, that's kind of what makes him special. I... Coming out of this game, uh, I'm kind of not sure who's the better quarterback. That's how, that's how I'm feeling about it. I, I know that that seems, that seems hyperbolic, but I, I'm not certain who the better quarterback is between the, those two teams. And next year, when we see Calvin Ridley out on the field, maybe a draft pick in Jacksonville, I think that team could be terrifying. I, as Steelers fan, and we lose to the Jags every time we play the Jags in the playoffs, it's going to happen this whole next decade, too. I'm kind of terrified. So uh, do you know how you celebrate one of the biggest comebacks in NFL history? How? Oh. You go to Waffle House with, with your crew. <laughs> That's what Trevor Lawrence did. Yeah. He went to Waffle House. That's what you got to do. 
that's so amazing on so many levels. The swag for him to go to Waffle House. This is what we wanted from Andrew Luck. It is. It, like, when Andrew Luck came into the league and everyone was giving him the hype like he was going to be this guy who just walked in the, and threw his dick on the table and made plays like that, that's what Carson Wentz, or not Carson Wentz, that's what Trevor Lawrence has become. I Carson Wentz's name skipped into my head because Carson Wentz did some of that shit on the field the same way Trevor Lawrence does. But Trevor Lawrence makes the plays, doesn't get himself hurt, and then has the swagger post game to go and <laughs> go to the Waffle House or even just in the interviews. You talk to him, and you know he's that dude. I want to apologize to Ashburn, Virginia, for the Carson Wentz slip by Nico. Hey, hey, there! If you had both of their backs to you and they didn't have hair, they'd look similar. <laughs> yeah, let's not put the Wentz stink on Lawrence at this point. No. Um, I Carson Wentz wasn't my guy or anything. It's just that's something that popped into my head because I remember. Like that that MVP Carson Wentz year when Carson Wentz was just making all of the plays in the world on the field and kind of had that charisma about him to, as a player more so than off the field. That's kind of how Trevor Lawrence's play style reminds me of Andrew Luck, that version of Carson Wentz. And we're we're seeing this Trevor Lawrence like be born into one of the elite players in the league. The one last thing. I want to say about Lawrence, two interceptions in the first four minutes and 52 seconds. He put that second half on film for the rest of the league saying, hey, it doesn't matter what we do from here on out. We'll see you next year. The last thing with the Jaguars is this is the the defense in the second half absolutely imposed its will. Now, so. we got play calling issues with the Chargers. We got some other stuff going on. We got a bunch of injuries going on. But that defense was really physical in the second half. And uh, what's your thoughts on, the? wow, did they go for it with Walker? Yeah. And, and it paid off. It, it's paid off. It's paid off to this extent. Actually, so far, like all three of the top end pass rushers from last year's class have looked pretty excellent like Thibodeau's been great for the Giants Uh, Hutchinson's been great for the Lions and Walker's been great for the Jaguars I think having him opposite Brian Burns in this system like I think it's going to be really legitimate going forward I I'm not sure we've seen like this level of young pass rushers on an organization like this in a long time. When you talk about like Trevor Lawrence being the kind of guy who gets to play with a defense like that, that's incredibly impressive. Overall, it really has us sitting in a situation where we could see the Jaguars as one of the elite teams going forward in the next decade. And obviously that's, that's high praise to be based off just a few elite players they have at this point, but like they're in a position 
that not a whole lot of other players have been in, or sorry, that not a whole lot of other teams have been in, being able to have like this elite pass rush, this elite young quarterback all at the same time. Well, we're looking forward to what with Kansas City is Kansas City Jacksonville at this point. So, right. Mm -hmm. Because they're playing with house money at this point. So they're going to play loose and free. So it'd be really interesting to see how that game comes out. Yeah. And it seems like that's going to be the first game of the divisional round, too. So that should be a good tone setter for us. All right. And uh, we'll get to our picks at the end of this. Uh, We're going to move on to Buffalo. And Miami, so Bills Mafia. I want to pick it up. Uh, it's Shakir drops uh, the wide receiver for Buffalo. Shakir drops a pass with like 129 to go in the second quarter. And I was looking at that and I was like, and my first thought, and I wrote this, I said, this might be the opportunity that the Dolphins need to keep themselves in this game. <laughs> and boy, was I right. That kid was wide open, and that could have been the score at that yeah. point in time. Yeah, to see that. And then to see the uh, the punt return right after for 57 yards. Mm-hmm. Like, what are we thinking? What the hell? Buffalo is doing everything they can to give this game away. Um, early in the game... I was just bitching and bitching about how this is the most boring playoff game I've ever seen. And there is no chance that Miami will ever have a shot in the the game here. I was flicking back and forth between this game and my Rockets game at the same time. But then slowly and slowly and slowly, Skylar Thompson and the overall ineptitude of this Buffalo team at times really gave Miami a chance to shoot back into this game. And despite the Skylar Thompson of it all, which absolutely shocked me, might have the, the Bills on a bit of fraud alert at this point. Buffalo did something... It, the interception with 102 to go mm-hmm. um and then then thompson absolutely capitalizing on it um hitting gasecki for the 7 yard touchdown and then have the two the two point conversion with tyreek and now we're taught mm-hmm. okay so this kid takes advantage of the opportunity that was given to him and now he's playing with some confidence now this is okay this is game we're here this is where we are and that kid was uh at kansas state was last year Mm -hmm. so he's seen oklahoma he's seen texas he's seen oklahoma state he's seen these places where it can get stupid loud and you are definitely up against it because your talent level is not on the level of some of these teams but Kansas State schemes it, and they get victories they definitely should not get. So this kid was probably right in his element at that point in time at 17-17. Yeah, at Skyler Thompson definitely performed considerably better than I would have expected. Like, there were multiple plays in the game where I feel like 
the receivers cost him more than the other way around. There were, that first pass of the game, he had a deep ball and hit Jalen Waddle right in the hands. So Jalen Waddle put it on the floor. There's multiple times throughout the game where plays like that kind of happened, where Skylar Thompson, it seemed like, was more ready for the moment than the rest of the team was around him. And part of that might be just like, the team coming into a playoff game and you know you're playing against the Bills and your quarterback is hurt, your backup quarterback is hurt, you probably don't have too much faith in the kid. But realistically, in the end, it wasn't his fault. It wasn't Skyler's fault at all. I think he gave him every opportunity to win this game. Well, we'll give you a little pushback on that. Yeah. 7.34, third quarter, in his end zone. First of all, it's a long third down. Mm-hmm. He is getting shell coverage, and he throws the ball right to Elam. That cost them. It did for sure. But I feel like you'd expect a mistake or two like that out of Skylar Thompson in that game. So the fact that he did that doesn't didn't really go against me. I feel like he did more than you could have hoped for him in that game. In the moments where he did come up big, other players didn't really come up big for him necessarily. No, credit to that young man. He was in a really bad position. And he did, like you said, he did the very best he could. Being the pick right before Brock Purdy, by the way, just mm-hmm. as an FYI. Yeah, I think he did all he could to keep them in the game. It was just at some point, talent was going to win over. And that's what we saw. I guess on a personal note, I'm really happy that Tua wasn't ever oh, yeah. thought of in this game. Yeah, me too. Because the joke, and it's going to sound crass, so it wasn't meant, and it's no disrespect to Tua Taivailoa, but the joke was, it's like 20 years ago, oh, okay, kid, you're seeing stars, don't worry about it, don't worry about the, the birds going around your head, yeah. or the stars going around your head, they'll clear up sooner or later and just go out there and play ball. I mean, I said that out loud. Mm-hmm. Um but that was 20 years ago, and that was a oh. mentality 20 years ago. So I mean, I'm not saying anything out of turn. Man, you so, don't I, even have to go back 20 years. I remember when I was in high school, so this is like 2011, 2010, I got kneed in the side of the head, and I had a doctor doing a concussion test with me on the sideline. And in the middle of the concussion test, my head coach walked up and put his hands over my eyes and sent me back out on the field. Didn't let me do the rest of the test. Just knew he needed me out there if we were going to win the game. And I just ran back out there without thinking a second. Done. (laughs) Well... We got a lot more to get to, so what we're going to do right now is we're going to pivot to the Vikings-Giants game. I got a lot of notes on this. I know you have a lot of thoughts on this, but I'm just telling you, I'm going into this game feeling pretty good because Saturday happens. Mm, Yep, looking good. Then Buffalo happens. Now we got the Giants in Minnesota. In Minnesota, Big game, national televised game. First drive, though, 75 yards, seven zip, boom. It's right there. Cousins connects with Jefferson four times for 31 yards in that drive. Yeah. 
And I know that Minnesota fans are like, see, I told you. I told you he was going to be fine. He was going to be fine. <sighs> then Dable happened. The combo block that sprung the 28-yard touchdown for Saquon Barkley by uh, center John uh, Feliciano and Andrew Thomas was absolutely brilliant. I don't know if you caught that, but it was beautiful. First of all, got past the first level, got to the second level, got hands on the second level, and there goes Saquon Barkley right down the field, touchdown, boom. The pulling block was really good, too. I can't remember who it was, but the the guard who came across the field and, like, sealed the block. Actually, Isaiah Hodgins had a good block at the end of that one as well. That was really good blocking on the team overall on that play. I Man, no disrespect to the Giants at all. They absolutely came to play in this game. I, I've been disrespecting them for... Uh, all year. To be honest, at the beginning of this year, when the Giants won a couple of games, I wouldn't let anyone talk shit on them. I refused it because I was like, this is the high point of the Giants season. We're not going to talk shit about the three and one Giants. And they kept raising the bar for themselves over and over and over. And now they've won a playoff game, something I never would have expected them to do. So I have to give them my absolute praise. Well, I did because I picked them. <laughs> I mean, I'm at a, the beginning of the year, I would. I know it's early in the process, but you want to go into the archive pods. It's there. Yeah. Um, now, there's a couple other things. 356 mark first quarter. Uh, there's a jet sweep backwards pass uh, to Cousins. It was snuffed out by Adoree Jackson. And I put, uh, man, way to go. Um, to have scheme, you know, discipline, and also just the eye discipline to stay on that play to give negative yards. I thought that was awesome on that particular play. So kudos to Dory Jackson. I thought it was a big play because so many times, especially in a um, in a playoff game, if you are not disciplined for one play, that's it. And then that is the key to the game. Yeah. And especially with a guy like Dory Jackson, where earlier in his career, you would have said discipline was one of his weak points. So for him to be able to come up and make a play like that in one of the biggest games of his career, that's absolutely top notch. We'll move to the the second quarter. Um, There was an illegal illegal motion call by um, on tight end um, Bellinger taking PD off the board. Giants settle for a field goal. It's 17-7 at the 329 mark to go in the second quarter. At that point, I thought that might be a really critical situation for the Giants. I was like, uh, you you kept the Vikings in it, mm-hmm. and you've given the Minnesota fan base hope. What were you thinking at that point in time? Were you – I mean, I knew you chose the Vikings, right? Yeah. In that game. Were you thinking, like, this is the turning point? Is this how we get it going now? Um, it? Not not necessarily. I Throughout the game, it's not like I felt like the Vikings were always going to win or anything. I didn't feel like that it was 
like this foretold thing that the Vikings were so much better than the Giants that they were going to win. I just assumed that overall I felt the Vikings were the more complete team so they'd be able to come out of this game. But once the game actually started and after the first drive, the Giants did an excellent job against Justin Jefferson. So once they were able to do that, I kind of started to have a little bit more reservations about whether or not they were going to be able to pull out the victory. And that's a key to my thoughts on Kirk Cousins, is that you took his best weapon away. I felt like he was able to adapt to a certain extent. Like he he found TJ Hawkinson several times. I was going to get to that. I have lots of notes on this. So he comes down mm-hmm. 325 in the second quarter. Yeah. Drives him down the field, 74 yards, touchdown, but with 45 seconds to go in the second quarter. Now, here's the deal on that play Kevin Thibodeau is hell blatantly. Oh, yeah. I mean, this is ridiculous, some of these calls. And we're seeing some of these games, man. Like, it is crazy. So, they go into halftime with 17-14. I'm still, at that point, feeling fairly confident. And my thought at that point in time, I was like, it looks like Danny Dimes is the more poised quarterback in the first half. No shade on Cousins, because that drive was impressive. He just looks a little more poised. I'm not like I said. It's not like, like he Kirk Cousins is melting. Yeah, fair. I feel like Dable had a solution to the Vikings defense the the whole way through. It almost felt like they were calling plays from Madden or something because they were just moving the entire offensive line to the right or moving the entire offensive line to the left and having Daniel Jones run behind them for four yards quite often. They would just it felt like they would pick up on some read that the Vikings defense had put in place and then they'd capitalize on it every time. And once that started happening, it felt like their offense couldn't stop moving. And Daniel Jones, to his credit, like you were saying, showed absolute poise and did not give the ball away in those situations at all. He's playing like he was Lamar Jackson or something. It was very uh, water boyish when Henry Winkler is on the sideline <laughs> drawing that place. They're yeah. all working. They're, they're yeah. all working. Everybody's one of them. <laughs> and, it, and Adam Sandler comes flying out. Oh, man. Shots One of the greatest movies fuel. of all time. Tackling fuel. <laughs> <laughs> all right. Oh, my God. Yeah, mama, 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 mama said. <laughs> what mama don't know won't hurt her. Okay. Uh, Giants second half come out. Third quarter, key plays. There's a third and three um, at the 32-yard line. 24-yard catch by Barkley. Keeps the drive alive. Then Danny Dimes connects with Hodgins for 32 yards. And then we get the nine-yard touchdown from uh, Bellinger. Danny Dimes now puts them up 24-14. I wrote this note at this time. I said 940 to go in the third quarter, Daniel Jones, 16 completions, 20 attempts for 218 yards and two TDs, and also rushed for 71 yards. Mm-hmm. I'm like, this is not looking good for Minnesota. I'm like, oh, boy. 
So at this point, game continues. Obviously, Cousins drives them back down. It's a real back and forth game. And then we, I guess we can get to the end of it and just kind of go, well, <laughs> what happened? Every time that the Giants needed play execution, just on your thought on Dable at 6-12 in the fourth quarter, that grab by Saquon Barkley for the first down, mm-hmm. so important in this game. And it just, time after time, like you said, time Dable just found a way to draw it up and get the subsequent yardage he needed. Am I being too hyperbolic by saying that I saw a really well-coached game, like to a point where it's upper echelon, maybe because the stakes aren't as high as they could possibly be. But that was one of the better coach games I've seen in a long period of time. Yeah. Yeah. One of the best coach games this season. I I would say definitely. It seemed like that they had a game plan to a certain extent that absolutely solved Minnesota. And that, to be honest, I I hate to bring, no, I I, I don't want to lie. I don't hate to bring every conversation back to the Steelers, but that's kind of why I love having a coach like Mike Tomlin specifically, who when something like that happens and you have a team that solved you and has figured out what you're trying to do and they figured it out, Mike Tomlin will walk into the locker room and rip that fucking game plan into pieces. And you're going to come out in the second half and you're going to play completely different and they're going to have to adjust to you again. And that's how your team continues to improve. And I, I wouldn't expect that kind of stuff necessarily from uh, Kevin O'Connell in year one. But I think that's the level of things that separates the elite, the the truly outstanding coaches from the guys who are just good coaches. And maybe Kevin O'Connell can get to that level. I just don't believe he's there yet. And I want to leave on this note, and it's right with Kevin O'Connell. He had to communicate with Kirk Cousins on that fourth and eight, you have to get it past the first down marker. The throw has to get past the first down marker. It was, to me, what I've always said about Kirk Cousins. Fourth and eight, we are looking at decision-making. Fourth and eight, you got to get a pass. He throws a three-yard pass that had no chance of making a first down. Zero chance whatsoever. I understand they were bracketing Jefferson, you got to heave it. You got to give them a shot. You got to do something. What they did was what Kirk Cousins does. So O'Connell has to convey that message to him that you cannot have this happen. This Mm. cannot happen anymore. Yeah, that's fair. Kevin O'Connell. Um but I, I just want to say about Kirk Cousins overall, I maybe I don't have to defend him quite as much as I thought because I felt like in this game he did enough to win the game for the most part. Up until that last drive, he completed just about every pass and he had several passes that were dropped by the receivers on this team where he hit people in the numbers, in the hands, and then they put the ball on the ground in situations where this is a primetime game, which Kirk Cousins has 
throughout his career struggled in significantly. This is about as good of a primetime performance that you could have hoped for from Kirk Cousins. And Kirk Cousins isn't one of the elite quarterbacks in the league, but in my mind, he's like one of the somewhere from like eight to 13, somewhere in that range. So when you have a guy like that, like this is as good as you could have hoped for. And you couldn't beat a team like the Giants. That puts me at concern that, I think at this point your team isn't good enough in Minnesota. This has nothing about being right, wrong, and different. I just think that if Kirk Cousins is what you have, mm-hmm. everything has to be right around him. Yeah. Everything. Offensive line, defensive line. It's playmakers on the defense. Mm-hmm. Playmakers on the offense. It has to all yeah. work together. That that's true about a lot of quarterbacks in this league. Oh no, I Nico, you couldn't be more right. Yeah. There's a few quarterbacks in this league that we can say it doesn't matter mm-hmm. if we have turnovers, it doesn't matter if our defense is not our quarterback can win us a game. Yeah. So there's only a chosen few of that. And then something that I even tweeted out today, uh, talking about Dak Prescott um, getting to this Monday night game in, in a second after we talk about the Bengals real quick. But I think that Dak is like a high-end game manager, and people get upset when I say things like that. But there's nothing wrong with that at all. <laughs> what are they trying to say he is? If they're getting upset at high-end game manager, what does he do besides that? I don't understand. Like Dak Prescott and Kirk Cousins are basically the same dude. They're just they're a little different, but they're like right around color wise, just a little different. Yeah, <laughs> that that's that's the same. Like they're a quarterback that I believe could be good enough to win you the Super Bowl, but you need to have everything else working at such a high level around you that. Like, if you're going to get there, I, I don't believe, I'm uh, sorry to say to the Cowboys fans before we predict your game, but I don't believe you're going to get to that Super Bowl this year with a guy like Dak. That being said, if you keep building the team the way the way you have been building it, I, I believe it is possible with him as your quarterback. And then you are looking at Jerry Jones picking and Stephen Jones picking your talent to build around Dak. So there's there's yeah, your confidence. He's been doing okay. He's been doing okay, though, Stephen Jones. This team right now that they put out all together, I would say, is pretty good. The Amari Cooper trade bit them right in the ass, but everything else has been not so bad. Listen, I, there's some things that I can say about Dallas, and, I, you know. I, we'll get there. Right, we'll let's, get there. We'll, let's talk about the, the Bengals game real quick. Yeah. First of all, we, you got to start with, with this. I, I'm i going to start on a happy note. Okay. Sam Hubbard, 98-yard. Yeah, that was so good for him. Fumble recovery touchdown. Kudos to um, Logan Wilson, who created the fumble. Yeah, punch that. That was awesome. What the hell was Greg Roman doing calling that play? <laughs> Let's go. Let's go. Because we're oh, getting here now. We're, you could say that about every play from the last 
three years of Greg Roman at this point. It's just banging your head against the wall, repeatedly doing the same shit and having none of it work out. He tries to play like people talk about Lamar Jackson, like he's a running back. And in my mind, that has so much more to do with the fact that Greg Roman plays him like he's a running back than the fact that he's anything like a running back as a player. Because he's playing like people say Tyler Huntley isn't that much worse than Lamar Jackson. Well, it's just because the fucking scheme, they just run the exact same plays and they only try to use them like an athlete. We we've seen that this Greg Roman offense doesn't work. It gets you almost there. We've seen it with the Niners. We've seen it with the Ravens now for years. It can get you close, but it cannot get you over the hump. Teams can scheme against it. It's easy. We've seen multiple schemes that take away the running effect completely. And like the the Ravens always like come up with some niche thing. Oh, we're gonna leave an extra running back in the backfield to block. Oh, we're gonna leave uh an extra tight end around the line of scrimmage to counteract the spy. Like we've seen several slight adjustments that they think will make this scheme succeed, and it, it nothing changes. You have one one of the most elusive quarterbacks to ever play this game. Oh, yeah. So he, he creates time. Now he creates sacks, but he does create time. Mm-hmm. How come you don't have a jump ball wide receiver? On the fucking team? On the team. Yeah. Oh, my God. I Yeah, I have no idea. They traded the only one they had in Miles Boykin. He's not great, but he is a jump ball receiver to the Steelers. They they don't have a single goddamn guy who can play the role at all. I Yeah, I'll never understand. After I give you these things, I want you to read tweet. And then we're going to talk about something we talked about last week and then going forward. Yeah. Baltimore dominated yards 364 to 234. They outrushed the Bengals 155 to 51. They lost the turnover battle in a critical one. Mm-hmm. There it is. Yeah. Now, uh, read, yeah. read the tweet from Lamar Jackson today. Oh, I don't. I do not have it at my fingertips. Okay, I'll fill while you get it. Well, last week on this podcast, I said that I believe that Lamar Jackson has played his last game for the Ravens. I said there's no way he's hitting that field. Um, I got. I got it. I got it for you. Okay, so now read the tweet. Yeah. Thank you, everyone, for your support and concerns regarding my injuries. I want to give you all an update as I am in the recovery process. I've suffered a PCL grade 2 sprain on the borderline of a grade 3 strain. There's still inflammation surrounding my knee. Sorry, there's still inflammation surrounding my knee and my knee remains unstable. I'm still in good spirits as I continue with treatments on the road to recovery. I wish I could be out there with my guys more than anything, but I can't give 100% of myself to my guys and fans. I'm still hopeful we have a chance. 
Okay, so Nico wrote he he read the happy tweet. The I'm I, gonna I'm gonna read the deleted uh, not the not the not the not happy tweet. I, I read I read the most recent tweet. Yeah. So the tweet you're about to read was probably deleted. Okay, where is it? I'm trying to find it. I haven't. I haven't seen this tweet yet, so I wasn't sure what you were referring to. Okay. All right. Okay. Oh, I can. I got it, but okay. just fill bus real quick because I'm trying to do something real quick. So. Oh man, this is great podcasting, I, by the way. Well, uh, I for a tease for our basketball fans, this whole podcast I've been keeping an eye on my phone because it seems like there could be an impending John Collins trade. Uh, all right. Well, here's a tweet. I got it. There we okay. go. Okay. So when okay, when you have something good, you don't play with it. You don't take chances losing it. You don't neglect it. You have something good. You you pour into it. I appreciate. I appreciate it. Because when you take care of something good, that good thing takes care of you too. Mm-hmm. Lamar Jackson. Oh man. Yikes! Yeah, he's out of there. <laughs> I've I've kind of felt that since last year. I feel like the I feel like him not playing in this game had to do a lot with his injury, but I feel like there's a good chance he doesn't play in this game, even if he was fully healthy. Because no playing in this game, man, no way. Get him, get him out of Baltimore. I, I couldn't be happier about this news. If I'm honest, I've been upset since the day they traded up to 32 to take this guy. And I've had to watch Lamar Jackson in Baltimore. Not, not only is he on my biggest rival in the sport, but he is on the team that doesn't want to do anything for him. He He's on the team that wants to play him like he's playing in college and not win any games with him. So to be honest, it might be better for everyone involved if he goes elsewhere. There's a few teams. Lamar Jackson has felt probably not invested in in probably about two years easily. Mm-hmm. He's almost fallen into the Aaron Rodgers deal, but not as annoying. I mean, when you don't have weapons around this kid and your offensive line is suspect and you let Orlando Brown Jr. go to Kansas City for – Nothing. Yeah. And your best weapon is Mark Andrews. Yeah. You read what you tell. The weapon is Mark Andrews. <laughs> yeah, I, I was trying to be kind. 
because yeah. I still have I still have some hope for Rashad Bateman. But yeah, yeah, he he could be better. And like there, Devin Duvernay, James Proche, like there's there's a few guys on the team who like are adequate receivers, but they're none of them are the level of receivers that a guy like Lamar Jackson should have as his number one. I mean, honestly, think about this way: if you put Lamar Jackson in Denver with uh with uh, Cortland Sutton, Sutton and uh, Jerry Judy and uh, the backs they had. Yeah, How good are they? They're absolutely dangerous. Man, next year, we we were talking a lot about this uh, Vikings team with Kirk Cousins, but <laughs> if Lamar Jackson's on the market, their eyes might get big. There's a few teams out there, the team in Detroit, a team in Miami, who... Like once they see there's an opportunity to go get a guy like Lamar Jackson, all of a sudden whoever you got on your roster doesn't matter so much. I'm really sorry for Baltimore fans. Like I, you know, I'm not. I know you're not because you're a Pittsburgh Steelers fan. Ratbirds. I, I, my problem is that he's done everything right. He's done everything absolutely right. Now, there have been things that I have nitpicked because I haven't been the biggest Lamar Jackson fan at all. Um, Previous pods, not on here, but somewhere else would say that. (laughs) But when you don't give him any opportunity to to prove me wrong, and I understand I'm just a lowly podcaster just trying to make my way in this world i know he doesn't think about me at all and that's okay but when you don't even give him the opportunity to be able to say yeah i can be a really adept passer i can sling it down the field i can be a difference maker if i had a couple weapons when you don't even give him that opportunity it's uh it's neglectful one yeah it's it's downright like what's the word i'm looking for it's it's derelict of duty. Yeah, that's the best phrase I can give you. It's derelict of duty by the front office, by the coaching staff, by the offense coordinator. That this is where Baltimore is at this present time. And you're right. I, I mean, I said it last week, and I'll say it again. Lamar Jackson has played his last game for the Baltimore Ravens. Now, I could be wrong. Nico could be wrong. We'll be the first ones to say Absolutely. we were wrong. Because um, we are a uh, accountable podcast. Yes. So when we get stuff wrong, we get stuff wrong. But I, there's, for me, there's no chance he playing. You can franchise him all day long, all day. He's never going to play for that franchise ever again. So there's that. Now, the last thing we'll talk about is this game tonight. Dallas-Tampa Bay. It is the last super wild card game of this weekend. Mm -hmm. Dallas is going to Tampa. Tampa's 8-9. and Now, you weren't on the pod last week. I threw out a scenario. And I'll I'll share it with you. Could it be that Tom Brady went through all of this really terrible stuff before the season and as the season started to get going with his personal life and his wife 
getting divorced, trying to figure out his kid situation. And then towards the end, because he will stabilize because he's 45 years old. Mm -hmm. That's what you do. You stabilize. Mm -hmm. And now he's reengaged. And you have a quarterback who has done it so many times in the NFL. And he is now reengaged. Yeah. Could that just be what happened this year? I mean, along with all the injuries, along with all the, mm-hmm. you know, the departures and and whatever case may be, the injuries on the offensive line are just out. Are just, I mean, this is like a epidemic. Well, they're off the line. We actually got news about that today. Uh, center Ryan Jensen, it sounds like, is going to play today and that should be really helpful for the Buccaneers overall that might uh, shore things up to a certain extent I there's definitely some merit to the that things are going on Tom Brady's life this year that haven't been going on in the past and that could have some level of impact on his play not just like the things going on with his family, his wife and his kids. But like in this off season, he made the plan that he was going to stop playing. He engaged, he signed a contract to be uh, an announcer off the field with Fox. And now every time he plays, maybe in the back of his head is, Oh, do I really have to be doing this anymore? I already have all the things. Do I really? Uh, uh, maybe more so than ever before in his career. That that sitting there, I could see that happening. But the the other thing about Tom Brady is we've seen this since he's been thirty four. His first, the first time we thought he was getting too old, where like Tom Brady comes alive later in the season every year and every year, the older he gets, it seems to happen later in the year and later in the year and later in the year. And last year it seemed to be like in the middle of December, he started to to really break out into pure Tom Brady form. Now, who knows now it could have been the last couple of weeks and we could walk into the playoffs and see Tom Brady throw four touchdowns, 400 yards. I won't be surprised. I'm, I'm sorry. I'm not picking Tom Brady against Tom Brady in a playoff game versus a team who hasn't won in the playoffs this millennium. I, it's, it's not going to happen. I'm give me the goal in this game. Give me the go. Give me, yeah. Kappa. by the way, I haven't said a lot about the Rams on this podcast yet. <laughs> I was scared shitless last year in that Tampa Bay. Uh, yeah. Rams game. I, the, you just, you can't, you had to close the door on him. Mm-hmm. This is the epitome of Michael Myers. Yeah. He just continues to come back. And now he's in the playoffs. And I'm sorry if everything is equal, better quarterback wins. Brady over Dak, Tampa over Dallas. I think it will be a good game, but I think that Dallas will lose. And maybe there'll be a freaky like penalty that Jerry Jones can opine about for two months and sell his fan base that they got robbed. 
the second version of the Des Bryant catch. <laughs> Is there any possibility that a that a head coach who's won twelve games two years in a row get fired? Mm-hmm. Only, only if it's Sean Payton related, I think. Off the top of my head, I don't think that they step away from McCarthy unless it's like we have a sweetheart deal with Sean Payton. He's just coming in to take over the organization. That That's the only, the only way I could see them moving on from McCarthy at this point. I thought he saved his job this year. I really yeah. did. I thought he somehow uh, saved his job. I still don't. I don't know. There's something about McCarthy that that I'm kind of like, eh, I'm kind of out on. But I mean, the proof is in the pudding. This dude has put up 12 wins back to back years. It's hard to do that in the NFL. It really is. Now, yeah. I understand that the the Cowboys. Um, fan base is for some reason Super Bowl or bust which it's absolutely comical <laughs> to me because you haven't won since like the early 90s bro like nostalgia only goes so far and now we're in a one of the, the last uh, Cowboys quarterback to win a playoff game is now calling playoff games with Mr. Troy Aikman <laughs> Think about that. Yeah. They got two announcers out there. Mm-hmm. Yeah, so, they do. So it's going to be Dak next time. Oh, my goodness. All right. Um, give me one positive thing. Okay. Here's, here's how I do see the Cowboys winning this football game. And I said it last week, and I'll say it again. Dak can prove a lot of people wrong by going out and actually running the football himself. Giving that team one more wrinkle that they have not seen. I'm not saying you need to run it 14, 15, 16 times. No. Five. Five called runs. With your running backs, Tony Pollard and Zeke, you could shorten the game, limit your mistakes, and win this football game. But I am betting... I am betting hard that McCarthy doesn't do it. And I believe that you'll keep Tampa in this game and Tampa will win. So, but there is a scenario for them to win. Man, Zeke should have played with a running quarterback by this time in his career because the level of like lead blocker that guy is as a tailback would have been outstanding to watch with someone like Lamar Jackson. Lamar might have rushed for 2,000 yards if he had Zeke as his number one running back. Yeah, who who was the, who was the guy this year? Um, um, Justin Fields. Justin Fields. Man, can you imagine? Yeah, I know. It's all, he almost set the record in like uh, 13 games with a guy like Zeke. He's, he's shattering it. You're killing it. Killing the game on a big level. Well, that's our pitch, by the way. So I'm 5-0 and going into tonight. You heard my pick. I am picking Tampa. Nico, he is going with the creamsicle. He is going with the, 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 yeah. the pillagers of the South Florida, the, the Florida area. 
the Tampa Bay Buccaneers as well. Mm-hmm. And so that really concludes our show, unless the John Collins news has fallen. Nah, it no. hasn't broken quite yet. We're definitely on um, emergency pod watch, uh, I'm sure, in Nico's very, very loose schedule that he has because he's a man of leisure, by the way. Nico in uh in Canada is just a man of leisure. He uh he spends his day contemplating life and all of uh all the things that that ail our uh our beloved earth. He doesn't oh. have you know he he can't be bogged down by trivial trivialization of uh like actual like work or school nah. or studying for a podcast or uh <laughs> you know any of this there oh man i wish i wish that we've had we've had some hellish times here to begin the year but it seems like we we might be working forward into a more sustainable uh situation for everyone involved then i'll be able to make sure i'm always on these goddamn podcasts on mondays instead of having to miss them because some garbage came up so i'm glad we we got it done this week at the very least and i think that's one of our better ones to be honest i felt like we were we were hitting today i enjoyed the conversation and also a little personal note nico's going through some prenuptial stuff. You know, yeah. my man is getting married in August. I so am. the chaos of the wedding does not exclude him. Oh, definitely. Not at all. No. He's in the trenches. Yeah. So. Gotta be always in the trenches. And just like the combining of two families of the wedding is what often <laughs> leads to some uh some hard times i'll say luckily between our specific parents our parents get along great and that's awesome but it's everyone else who has a fucking something to say on the situation it's i'm i'm sure this is a situation a lot of people can relate to around this scenario because weddings are definitely stressful for everyone involved as as happy of the time as they are and i i got to admit i can't i've never been any more excited to do anything than i am to marry my fiance shannon she's the greatest person i've ever met but just going through the parts of life that we've been forced to go through together and our families have been forced to go through together has led to some drama as well. Luckily, the two of us are are pushing through it hand in hand, but uh, it just, it takes some of our energy some days. And kids out there who are going through the same thing, um, also blended families, different traditions yeah uh, different ways of life different viewpoints on on life in general um the one thing that i will say to everyone who is in this position is keep in mind that that day is yours now how you feel about your spirituality or lack thereof is completely on you so Mm -hmm. if you are a person of god it's between you, God, and the person you're marrying. That's it. 
all the other chaos that goes on with a wedding, that's the reality TV show. Yeah. Definitely. What's really important is for the two people who are actually doing the vows to become galvanized through this gauntlet of absolute crap that goes on between the family, yeah. between who's getting invited, who's not getting invited, who's sore because they didn't get invited, and their cousin, who we haven't seen in ever, ever. Yeah, yeah. Why is he not invited? It's a complete slap in the face to my family, and so I'm not coming. Oh, man. First yeah. of all, <laughs> I've, had that, I've had literally that exact conversation. So it's it's good that you bring that up like that. For I everyone think, out there, pump your brakes. Help yeah. yourself stop. Uh-huh. Because you're not you're not the star of the show. The star of the show are the two people getting married. And that's the thing that people need to keep in mind. And if Absolutely. you don't keep that in mind, you might find yourself off the wedding list. So, mm-hmm. where's the kind of we we in got, the podcast? <laughs> we've got some some cuts that might be made after these uh, last couple weeks. Actually, the more I talk about it out loud, I. I think we might be working ourselves toward episode two of the life pod. Once you and everything, we, once you get that episode with your mom out and going, I think this might be the direction I want to lean in. Unfortunately, Maybe get my fiance up she's with. been under the weather, so we couldn't even record it so far. Um, yeah. But we yeah. are on it. We're efforting to get her together to have this happen. Yeah. yeah I would love to talk about you when you're, you're, your nuptials, your mm-hmm. pending. But on that note, we're going to leave you uh, again. Thank you for your guys' support. We commit every week at least two podcasts a week. And uh, we have been just absolutely overwhelmed by uh, the, the support we've gotten. Um, your listenership is very important. Drop a five-star deal. And then the other thing that we always forget to do oh, is yeah. tell everybody our Twitter handles. Yeah. And we can't be a professional podcast without dropping the Twitter handle. So, Nico, what is your Twitter handle? I I, I should be easy enough to find you two, actually. We, we both got our, our Twitter bios pretty simple. Mine's just Nico, N-I-C-O-F-R-B-C. Nico FRPC, you type it in, you should find me. Uh, I got a good little photo on there with me and my glasses and my mustache. So come say hi. And I'm just simple. I'm at a front runner PC and I have the logo of the pod up there. And uh, I'm starting to tweet more. I, I noticed Twitter for a long time because it was just. Trash, and then I said, you know what? I don't need to worry about the trash. All I can do is just put out into the world what I can. Mm-hmm. And if it's met with positive, negative, that's fine. You know, for each his own, and then go from there. And that's how I'm going to do it from here on out. I'm not going to worry about it too much. 
Mm-hmm. Well, with that being said, I guess we can go ahead and end the show. Um, I guess we will be on pot alert for a yeah. basketball trade. Well, we'll see. Yeah. Okay. For everyone, I'm Nico here with Vince. I'd like to thank you all for tuning into our episode this week and our football episode this week anyways, and have a lot of fun watching this week's games. Have an eye out for a potential John Collins trade, and we will talk to you Friday. And check in on your friends that are Dallas Cowboy fans because, um, you know, just do a, <laughs> you know, uh, uh, what is a mental health check on them. Make yeah. sure everything's cool. <laughs>